Is anyone excited to be in church today? Yes. You know, I, I was looking around the room while we were singing, and you know, I was singing. Don't, but I was looking around the room too, and I just like, you, there's just you got there's you all are just amazing people. Like I'm like, I just want to hang out with every. I just wish I could get, like have the time to just hang with every single person because you guys are just amazing. We have such a great community, a great family here as a church, and I'm just excited to be a part of this church. And uh, it's the new year, first Sunday of 2024. You made it. Uh, new series called "Say It With Me." All about. And we are all about a lot of different things, aren't we? The question is, is, what are we all about? Actually, turn to the person next to you and say, what are you all about? That's an interesting question, isn't it? What are you all about? Now, one of the things that I know most of us, if not all of us, are all about is winning. Right? I mean, no one wants to lose. So it's really hard sometimes to be all about these guys right now. Right? It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And I was thinking about this yesterday. You know, these guys are given a new definition of the term bad boys. I thought that was pretty funny. Okay, sorry. My bad. All right. For all you Pistons fans. But it's really easy to be all about these guys right now. Come on. Oh, yeah. Pretty exciting. I know. Unbelievable. But the feeling of winning, the feeling of triumph, the winning of just a victory, it's just, it's contagious. You just, you, if you win in a project, you win in a relationship, you win, you just kind of want you to just kind of keep coming back for more. So today we're going to look at what does it look like to win in 2024, but in a little bit of a different way. Uh, we're going to be looking at this idea that in order for us to truly win, we first have to be all about Losing. Say what? That's right. In order to truly win, we have to be all about losing first. And as we continue in John chapter 12 on our series through John verse by verse, Jesus had just left this quiet dinner party, and now he's going to be heading into Jerusalem that we call the triumphant entry, which we'll actually find out that really wasn't so triumphant. And we're going to get some key tips from the king, from the, the ruler of all, Jesus, to help us have triumph, to help us win, but he models it by losing. And so we'll pick up some of these tips to help us win in 2024. And whether you're a Jesus follower in the room today or not, I mean, who doesn't want to win? So these tips can help you in your life, even if you're not a Jesus follower. So let's uh, go on that journey together. But before we do, I want to pray for us, and then we'll dive into this real history together. And so, Father, thank you so much for getting us here in this room. Some of us are walking in this room feeling light. Some of us are walking into this room feeling heavy as we head into this new year. And so, Father, I ask that you would meet each person right where they're at today. Thank you for your word that guides us and just shapes us and shepherds us no matter where we're at today. And so God, use this. Use your text as you always have just specifically today for each person in their heart. Challenge them, convict them, move in them um, as we strive to just move towards you. Get me out of the way as always. We pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. So, hey, grab a Bible and grab a journal. 
Um, if you don't, it's, so we've been going through John verse by verse. We're in the second half now. Does anyone not have a John journal that wants a John journal? Raise your hand. I'm going to give you one right here. Okay, yeah. Come, well, you got to come get it, though. I'm not, you know, then i got to step down, and there's going to be feedback, and there's going to be all this crazy stuff. So here you go. There you go. Thank you. All right, awesome. Enjoy. You know, if you want to talk about winning in 2024, one thing, just as a, this is a little bonus, is is making sure you got a plan for your daily encounter. It's so important. you got 1440 minutes in a day. 1,440 minutes in a day, right? We all have the same amount of minutes. And I mean, even if you gave 10 minutes a day to Jesus to just get your mind right, to get your focus right, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. And so if you don't have your plan yet for 2024 to spend time with God, figure that out because that will truly help you win in all areas of your life. It's so, so important. And so here we are, the second half of the book of John. Now, what, we, what we've noticed here is that from now till the end, we're literally only in the final week of the life of Jesus. The whole first half of the book that we've studied so far has been throughout the whole, his whole life. Now we're focusing in on the last, uh, the, the, literally the last week of his life. And so it shows the importance and the focus of what we see Jesus walking through to the cross. And we're going to be literally all the way up to Easter landing the plane here on this book, which is crazy. Easter is only three months away, all right? Mark your calendar, March 31st, I think it is. And so here we go on the journey uh, towards Easter, John chapter 12. And so we'll start uh, verse 12 of John chapter 12, and it begins like this. It says this, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, they heard that Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming. He was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, if you woke up one morning and you just read John chapter 12, you got your cup of coffee sitting in your chair, you'd probably just go to the next verse. I would too. I'd be groggy waking up. Okay, what's going on? Okay, not that big of a deal. But there's so much in here that I don't want you to miss, okay? And so when you dig a little deeper and understand the chronological order and the time period of what's taking place, this will blow your mind. So if you're taking notes, please, you want to write this stuff down. This is so insane. The next day is referring to the 10th day of Nisan. Not the car you're driving, okay? But we're talking the 10th day of Nisan with the Julian calendar, okay? The 10th day of Nisan, during the time of Passover, people would come all to Jerusalem with their lambs to prepare for their sacrifices. On the 10th day of Nisan, they would bring their lambs to get them prepared and to make sure that they were acceptable to be sacrificed. Then on the 14th day of Nisan, they would actually sacrifice the lambs. Around this time in the first century, we're talking like a quarter of a million lambs were slaughtered. I know it's kind of crazy. We're like, what in the world? Like, we don't understand that. But this is what they would do to try to appease, to atone for their sin to a holy God. And so Jerusalem is slamming with people. It is packed with people. The time is set. And check this out. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, starts walking into Jerusalem on the 10th day of Nisan. That's not by mistake. That's on real focused purpose. Now, if that's not cool enough for you, let me add another layer to the timing as he's walking into Jerusalem. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem, this was predestined, foretold years prior that we see in the book of Daniel chapter 9. We went over this and we went through Daniel, but let me remind you, Daniel chapter 9, this is unbelievable. Now listen and understand, okay? This is a prophecy from Daniel uh, through the, uh, to the ruler Artaxerxes, okay? Now listen and understand. 
Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time, okay? That's Hebrew math. I'm not going to go into those details, okay? You figure that out later, all right? Um, From the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the earliest times. It continues. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries and decreed from that time to the very end. And so what we're seeing here on the pages of history that we're witnessing is that when this prophecy was given, this was around 445 B.C. If you're taking notes, 445 B.C., this prophecy was given. And then when you do that Hebrew math that I'm not going to go into detail because I'm not that smart, that's a 483-year time period. So you add 445 B.C. to 483 years gets you on the Julian calendar, 33 A.D. around March time. When Jesus Christ is walking into Jerusalem, pre-already told from Daniel chapter 9 on the 10th day. Of Nissan. You can't make this stuff up. If you're a skeptic of Jesus, you're like, I don't know if I can believe this, man. There's so much historical, archaeological evidence, let alone just the faith of what God and how he's moving and what he's doing. But this also shows us something really, really interesting. This shows us that Jesus Christ was being obedient to the will of his Father. And if you truly want to win, You've got to be triumphant in obeying. That's the first one. And sometimes, right, obeying feels like you're losing. Jesus knew. He knew what he was walking into. He knew he was like literally walking into the slaughterhouse. He knew it was going to be uncomfortable. He knew it was going to be painful. He knew it was not going to be, you know, roses and lollipops. And yet, he was still obedient to follow the exact timing that God set before him to walk into Jerusalem. He was triumphant in obeying, which is a great reminder for us that if we want to win in 2024 and for our lives, we need to be triumphant when it comes to our obeying and not to delay in our obedience. We say it all the time in our home, delayed obedience is disobedience. Where might you be delaying in your obedience to God? He might be spurring you on to something, but you keep delaying it. Maybe it's the idea of starting something. He's been pushing on you. He's been pressing on you to start something. But yet you've been delaying in that obedience. Maybe because of just how difficult it might be or your insecurities. And you're delaying in that obedience for how God wants you to start something. Maybe it's somewhere where God might want you to serve. Whether it's in the church or outside the church. But you keep delaying on it. You keep just saying, oh, no, maybe I'll just wait. Maybe it's because you don't feel like you're gifted enough or you don't feel like you're old enough or maybe you feel like you're too old. Someone else will do it. And you're delaying in your obedience for how God wants to use you to to serve him in his kingdom. Maybe it's the idea of God might be asking you to be more generous. God's prompting you to give of your first fruits back to him, reminding us that everything we have comes from God in the first place. I can give you so many different examples of my life where God would ask me or has asked me to be generous in something. 
to give above and beyond what I normally give or to sell that thing or sell this thing to give to him. And I'm just like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. No, I'm keeping that. No, you can't have that. And I go through the whole process and he keeps messing with me until I do it. And it feels like I'm losing at first. But I'm telling you time and time again, from my personal experience, is I, I've never regretted giving. I've never regretted giving. I, I'm never losing when I'm giving. I'm actually winning. It's so much more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know what it is for you. But if you truly want to win, you truly want to be triumphant, the first thing that has to happen is we need to be triumphant in our obeying. Then it continues. It says, um, it says this, So they took branches of palm trees, And they went out to meet him, crying out, say it with me, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus is coming. They're picking up palm branches, which is the symbol of victory. And they're waving these palm branches. Jesus is coming in. And and maybe for some of them, as they picked up palm branches, they were reminded by the culture that they started waving palm branches was all the way back to this Maccabean revolt that we talked about weeks ago, where Judas of Maccabees came and restored the temple. Judas of Maccabees, the hammer that came. And so they were waving palm branches because he was the one that saved them and gave them back their power and gave them back their temple. And so now they're thinking, here comes Jesus. He's done miracle after miracle. There's a buzz about this guy. He's going to save us from our Roman oppression. We're going to get everything back. And so let's wave these palm branches. Here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. And then he comes, shocking the crowd, riding on a donkey. What's going on, right? He comes riding on a donkey. And so Jesus, what happens? He finds a young donkey and he sat on it just as it is written. And again, another fulfilled prophecy. Write it down, Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. You know why I underline that? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I read things in the Bible or I'm trying to understand what God's saying and I don't get it at first. And that was encouraging to me because I'm like, they didn't get it at first. And I'd need to like two or three times myself. I don't know if anyone's with me to understand what the heck sometimes what God is doing or what God's saying. So they didn't understand it at first. That's encouraging to me. Hopefully that's encouraging to you. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Then it continues. Oh, no, it doesn't continue because I'm supposed to say something. It's okay. All right. <laughs> You get off of your notes and you don't know where you're going. All right, think about this, y'all. Jesus, the king of the universe, is coming into Jerusalem. He should be riding on a Rolls Royce chariot with the most precious metals, with the mightiest war horses. And yet he comes in on a donkey, the symbol of peace. And the symbol of humility. And so another way Jesus tells us how to win or shows us how to win by his example is that you truly can win. You truly can be triumphant in restraining is the second one. In your restraining and our restraining. I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted to. But yet he held back his might. He held back his power. Think about this. In this moment, people are praising him. It's like, here he is, you know, 
Get the paparazzi. I mean, here comes Jesus. And they're Hosanna, Hosanna. But then that same crowd in just a few days turns to hatred of crucify him, crucify him, kill him. And yet even in the midst of that, he restrained his power. He restrained his power so much that he hung on a cross in humbled silence. When you think about winning in 2024, it made me think about how do we win relationally? And one of the key ways that we can win relationally, it feels like losing, but it's actually winning, and that's restraining the thing right here, our tongues. Man, they're powerful, man. It's just amazing, right, what can just come out of these things and how much damage it can do. Letting it get the best of us, our tongues getting the best of us, but if you truly want to win relationally, to continually learn the discipline of being slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. I'm, I know it's easier said than done. For all you teenagers in the room, I want to talk to you for a second. Listen, I know that it can be very, very difficult to listen to us mom and dads. Sometimes we just say the craziest things and we tell you no when it doesn't make sense to you, when it should be yes. Why won't you let me do this? Why not this? Why not that? I, I know we're crazy sometimes. But you know that in those moments where your mama or dad tells you no and you start running this tongue, it just gets worse. You know it. But when you restrain it and you hold back, it's just better. The outcome is better for you. So if you want to have a good 2024, I'm telling you, this is free. Parents are like, this is worth coming to church this morning, okay? Take notes, teenagers. Just, it will be better for you. Restrain it. Restrain that tongue. Honor your father. Honor your mama. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And check this out. It's the only Ten Commandment that on the other side of it, it gives a blessing right there. You'll be blessed. You'll be rewarded. Honor your father, honor your mama. You'll never go wrong with that, even when it doesn't make sense. What about relationally with our spouses? You want to win in your marriage in 2024? Learning the art of being triumphant and restraining our tongue. And listen, I mean, I could give you, me and Jim were like, well, what example should we give them? I mean, we have so many, okay, where my tongue got the best of me, her tongue got the best of her. But so many times we've learned that if we just restrain and just stop for a moment and be slow to speak, then man, the outcome later is better and it's richer and it's more rewarding and it's more fulfilling and then we're more connected as a couple. And so I, I guess I would just say, for myself and for you, if you're struggling wherever you're at in your marriage today, is that what if we were more focused on not, what if we were more focused on losing the argument and winning the heart of our spouse? Like, who cares? I'm not saying go sit in a corner and let someone just, like, like, like uh, hurt you or verbally assault you. You still have to speak truth. But when we restrain ourselves and hold back 
and fight for saying, you know, I'm going to lose the argument. It doesn't matter because I want to win the heart of my spouse. You'll win. You'll win. You'll win. I'm not sure where you might need to have restraint in your life, but you truly win when you do that. Then it continues. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. I mean, this is unbelievable. Jesus literally, we taught about this, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He was dead for days and literally raised him from the dead. I mean, word is buzzing all around him. If there was social media, I mean, that's all you'd hear right now. I mean, it'd be viral everywhere. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. People couldn't stop talking about him. Verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And so Jesus answered them, and he said this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I got to imagine that the crowd that was following Jesus so closely had to have been like, wait a second. He normally would say the hour has not come. Now he's saying the hour has come. This probably stopped them in their tracks a little bit. And then he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, remember that means pay attention, this is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And listen to what Jesus says. This is, this is a lot. This, lean into this. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In other words, no fruitful life without death. No victory without surrender you got to be all about losing first before you can truly win. He literally uses the analogy of a seed. A seed that seems just so small, it's like you can't even see it. Don't worry, I don't even have anything, anything. I just, just forgot to bring a seed, but you couldn't tell anyways, right? It's fine. You can't even tell it's there, right? Okay. He uses a seed as this analogy of like a seed just seems insignificant. It's like who, uh, and it is insignificant until it's planted in the ground, he says. When it's tombed into the ground, then the life within the seed is multiplied. And that one seed produces kernels of grain that is multiplied and flourished. This is another example of Jesus giving the gospel, the good news of what you must do to be saved, to truly have life. If you truly want life, if you truly want to win, not only in 2024, but for all of your eternity, you have to get to the point to be, to die to self first. It's the idea of being triumph and dying. To die to self. To allow God to plant you so that you can truly have life be multiplied out and fruit multiplied out of your life. And for those of you that are Jesus followers in the room, you know you've experienced this life. It's unbelievable. 
what God then produces out of your life once you surrender and die to yourself. So we can take this not only for our salvation, but we can take this into our sanctification as we live as Jesus followers, where every day we got to wake up in the morning and take up our cross. And that's a mental thing, right? That's a mental thing. We're followers of Jesus. I've been crucified. I'm one with Christ. I've been crucified with him. Uh, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But now I wake up every morning and I have to die to self and take up my cross. And we have to do this mentally. And so if you truly want to win, sometimes you have to lose by dying to some of the thoughts that are in your mind. I don't know what that would be for you today. Maybe for some of you, that's this idea of Dying to what you're watching or what you're scrolling through constantly, getting caught into the comparison trap of the social media world that then puts you through a lens of depression and deflatement based on people that you don't even know. Or maybe it's dying to a substance that you keep going to that's robbing you of good health and good mind and awareness. Maybe it's dying to the thought of bitterness because you still can't forgive the person that keeps haunting you and you don't have peace, but you keep just holding on to that bitterness, but you need to die to that. Maybe it's just the wasteful time, like technology. I really got on a kick a couple years ago of just feeling so convicted how technology was just distracting me from truly being used by God because I get so distracted by all the different apps and stuff on my phone and trying to work and then I get distracted. You know, I don't know who came up with this, but I guess, you know, smarter people did a study that an average person, if you're trying to focus on something and if you get distracted by a buzz or an alert or whatever it is, it takes you like 23 minutes to regain that focus. And so the art of being disciplined to take the technology noise away so that you can truly be effective how God wants to use you. I don't know what you might need to kill in the mind, but if you truly want to win in 2024 for your life and and be used for God's glory, there's some things maybe in your mind that you got to wake up in the morning and kill so that God can produce real fruit out of your life. Verse 22, then Jesus says this, Now was my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Notice he didn't say, what shall I do? He knew what he was going to do. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. In another gospel, it goes into the depths of the Garden of Gethsemane. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Then he says this. I mean, take this in. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had just thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. But Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Three times God the Father spoke audibly to God the Son at his baptism, at his transfiguration, and right here in this moment. And then it says this. Now is the judgment of this world Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. It continues. So the crowd answered him. We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say then that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? So Jesus said to them, 
The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Notice it said twice that the Son of Man must be lifted up. Referring to Jesus being lifted up in a horrific crucifixion. In a horrific crucifixion, Jesus was lifted up so that later, three days later, he would be lifted up from death and then later lifted up into his ascension. But then if you really step it back, if you really think through it all, Jesus literally was lifted up. Jesus literally lost on the cross so that we could truly win and have life. And then, you know, how do I... For those of you that come to church regularly, we give the gospel every week, the good news of Jesus. And I know sometimes it might be like, okay, I've heard that. But this is a news that we have to keep running through our mind over and over again. It's so important that we run this through our minds over and over again of what Jesus has done for us. And to understand that we have a Savior that literally is not immune to suffering. That we have a Savior that literally went through what he went through. That, I mean, think, like Jesus lost on the cross for us. It's, 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 it's unbelievable so that we could win. In every trial that we face, Jesus can relate. In any suffering that you walk through or are walking through right now, we have a Savior that literally decided to relate with us and took it on him. That's unbelievable. Hebrews 4. I mean, just take this in. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Like we sang earlier, everybody needs saving. And he didn't complicate it. He made it really simple. In order to truly be saved, you have to receive the gift of Jesus. And, um, you know, I, I said this earlier, like if you really want to win in 24, but it's more than winning in 24. If you really want to win for your eternity, it's getting to the point to die to yourself, to humble yourself and to receive Jesus. To stop being the king of your life, to stop loving your life so much and loving something greater, your creator. And he loves you so much that he literally did what we just read for you. And you can live your life ignoring that 
But then when you leave this life, you will not have eternal life with your creator. You'll have eternal life without your creator. You will not have eternal life in paradise. You'll have eternal life in pain. But he does not want that for you. And so if you really want to start 2024 off right, maybe for some of you, it's finally time to die to yourself and let God plant you and resurrect your life and forgive your sin problem once and for all. And so if you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity right now. And so let's just, every head bowed and eyes closed out of respect. And maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never humbled yourself. You've been coming for maybe a few weeks. Maybe you're coming for months and you just never owned it for yourself. You've never taken it seriously. But today you'll finally humble yourself and say, I want to receive Jesus. I'm going to lose my life to really gain my life. And so just out of a confession of faith to your king, just say, Father, I surrender. Just tell him that I surrender. I know that's a hard word to say. I lower my pride and I surrender. Forgive me of my sin. I own it. But thank you for your love for me, that you suffered for me, that you lost for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again for me. I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we keep praying, if you really meant that, the scriptures say that you will no longer perish, but now you have everlasting life and your life can truly begin and become fruitful. And no one can take that from you. Father, thank you so much for being the greatest model to us. Thank you for modeling what it means to be all about losing so that we can win. Thank you for modeling obedience even to the point of death. Thank you for modeling just holding back and restraining. And thank you for your dying. It's unbelievable that you would do that for us. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for those who put their faith in Jesus today for the first time. If you made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus, then we want to ask you to not walk alone. You can text us or just find one of us. We would love to just celebrate with you this victory over your life. It's the greatest victory that has ever happened in your life is being saved by Jesus.